Hello, my friends. This is Heather. This is the Back to Me podcast. And this is another celebrity chat with another super amazing human being. And oh my gosh, this one is Leslie Davis. And she is the author of You Can't Eat Love. And believe it or not, we even talk about zombies. <laughs> so um, if you find this episode interesting, please leave me a comment. Let me know. And of course, as always, I would totally appreciate it if you shared this with all of your friends. Take care, my friends. I will see you again soon. Hi, my friends. Welcome. This is the Back to Me podcast, and this is Heather, and I am super excited that you're here. You are going to hear some tips and some tricks and some ideas to help you live your happiest and healthiest self. I call it Back to Me because when you are taking care of yourself, back to me, then you can take better care of others and we can all make the world a better place. This is Wellness Your Way and I am super happy that you're here. Hello, my friends. Welcome. This is Heather. This is the Back to Me podcast. This is Friday, which means amazing humans are joining me. And this week's amazing human celebrity is Leslie Davis. And we were just talking right before we started. Oh my gosh, I have so many questions. But Leslie, <laughs> the, we, we're, we are definitely going to talk about the fact that you wrote eight books. But this first book that we're going to talk about is You Can't Eat Love. And I know that that became because of something that happened in your life. So can you tell, I guess... Like, how did you come? Well, how did you come up with the title for the book? Maybe that'll start. That'll start it out. <laughs> well, Heather, first, let me thank you so much for having me on here. Um, it's really such a privilege for me to join you and you know speak to your audience. And I'm so grateful. Uh, well, the title of the book came about several Mother's Days ago. Um, and to give you a little bit of backstory, our mother died. Now it's been 38 years ago. Yeah. And so um, my first Mother's Day as a mother was my first Mother's Day without my mother. So I struggled for years and years with Mother's Day because my oldest child, her first grandchild, was born two weeks after she died. Wow. So um, anyway, I struggled for many years with Mother's Day. And part of the problem was that I never processed the grief of losing her. And all of that was tied in on that one major day. Well, my youngest sister had commented for many years that on Mother's Day, what she would do to honor our mother is make um, a pie. And in our family, we had this one famous pie that we've been making now for, gosh, 80 years now. Well it's a lot of pie. <laughs> that is a lot of pie. Um, anyway, I decided on this particular Mother's Day that I would make this pie and see how I felt, you know, to honor our mother. And the Monday after Mother's Day, I had made the pie on Mother's Day. I enjoyed a slice of it on Mother's Day. And the next day I enjoyed some for breakfast. And as I was sitting down eating the pie, all of these thoughts and feelings and emotions started washing over me. And I grabbed a pen and paper and I wrote down what became the first several paragraphs of the book. And I recognized in that moment that it wasn't the food 
that I was looking for. It was the memories. It was the love. It was all the people that had, you know, passed away and were no longer with me that I was missing. And I had this, what I call light bulb moment, um, where I realized I had been using food to fill a myself sized hole in my heart because I had believed that no one loved me. And what I came to realize was the only person who didn't love me was me. And in that moment, I recognized you can't eat love. Well, that's, that's a pretty major discovery over a piece of pie, right? <laughs> and it's, I, I'm just remembering. So I did an episode a few weeks ago with a woman who's a grief coach she coaches people through grief and she did talk about that where grief shows up in such interesting ways that people don't necessarily recognize so um, her name was silky so good for you that you actually had that um, quiet time to yourself where you could recognize what was happening and then you wrote it down some people would just have another piece of pie and just move on right <laughs> <laughs> and so from that realization, I mean, the book obviously wasn't, you know, you, unless you're um, like a marathon writer, it's like, I guess that's just was this beginning of that exploration for you. Well, actually, I took those scribbles and I stuck them someplace in a very, very safe place. And there they sat for two years. Oh, and uh, a friend of mine had been telling me, you need to write, you need to write, you need to write. And so I started out writing a different book. And I wrote 12 chapters of this other book. And then um, I heard from, this is going to sound crazy, but I heard from God, I don't need you to write that book. I needed you to write that book so you could see the journey you had been on. Now I need you to write this other book for the other people so that they can learn how to love themselves. And so I dug out those scribbles and I sat down and about five weeks later, I had a book. <laughs> Two years and five weeks. <laughs> right. All right. You know, sometimes we don't hear the message the first time, right? It's like we think, oh, no, no. And I don't think it's weird. I think messages come in whatever form you are ready to hear them, right? 100%. And learning to be receptive to hearing the messages and then taking action on the messages is very, very important. But the, the thing about um, you can't eat love is it's about learning to love yourself and changing your relationship with food. And I had a counselor read the book before I published it. And she said, you know, this could be called you can't drink love, you can't drug love, you can't fill in the blank love because right. it's not about dieting however the the tips the tricks the techniques the stories and all of that are what i used to help me lose almost 100 pounds and wow. not just lose it but keep it off right and it wasn't you weren't going to weight watchers or weight loss clinic or whatever the latest thing is i, I wasn't using anything you know I wasn't using the latest gimmick that they're running on TV. I did use Weight Watchers because, as I say in the book, I had no clue what portions looked like. I oh. had no clue, you know, what balanced diet looked like. I needed, you know, a structured framework for the food. However, 
This is a ginormous, however, in all big capitals and all that kind of stuff. What I realized was that 80% of my weight loss occurred from my shoulders up. <laughs> the evidence was from the shoulders down. Right. Mm. And I guess, how do you, it, I, I do agree that because I, when I first started on my, I think I need some, as you don't know what you don't know, you have to find the education of what is healthy eating if you don't know and you've never done it. So not to diss you Weight Watchers because I was a member too, but, <laughs> but it, it's, it does have to come from here, like you're from your head because there's there's a lot of conversations going on up there a lot of the time and that affects the rest of you See, yeah because uh what what i came to understand and i did this you know as i would be tracking my food and i would write down um when i would overeat i would mm -hmm. write down okay what the heck was going on mm -hmm. and i started doing that by accident and i started realizing my feelings my thoughts my emotions and all of this stuff were coming into play and i had never labeled myself as being an emotional eater a stress eater and you know i i just ate i was a sneak eater i was all kinds of other eaters but i never put the emotional or stress label on it um but what i came to recognize is i was eating instead of feeling Right. We all have our coping mechanisms for things, Correct. right, that we don't yeah. want to deal with. And, and that's why I call it, you know, that that was my drug of choice. Um, that was what I used to calm the tension down because what I would do and I, you know, this was all a journey of discovery. Okay. Um, what I came to recognize is when I was overeating or sneak eating, then I would feel guilty and I would feel shame. I could manage those emotions because I'd been managing them for most of my life. Right. The emotions that I struggled with were sad, unhappy, angry, mad, uh, even, even happy, just plain old happy. I struggled with those because so much of my life I'd been told, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Oh, right. Yeah. And, and so that sets off that tension and you've got to do something to relieve the tension. Right. And I'm just thinking, cause you were talking about these different food being your drug of choice and the, like having to face the emotions. So I'm imagining it's, this is going to come up probably for the next 40 years that imagine COVID if you weren't ready to, sit with yourself and face whatever was going on for you. Like we may, I have a joke. We have a joke between my husband and I that what stayed open when we were in lockdown was the grocery store, the liquor store and the coffee shop. 100%. So you're thinking those were our coping mechanisms. Oh, and now we sell pot legally, by the way, you could have gone to the pot store too, but it's like we have all, the only thing that stayed open was the things that we needed so that we could cope with the discomfort we had from, the, the uncertainty that maybe we were scared, maybe we were lonely, maybe we'd never spent any time with ourselves to listen to the inside of our head. And, but we kept their escape routes open. So, oh my gosh, 
your book should have been on the checkout counters of every one of those stores. <laughs> and maybe, maybe we could have helped a few people avoid the COVID COVID-19 that as they call it. <laughs> yeah. The COVID-19. Oh and, and that's very, very true because the only things that were open were the things that people were turning to, to release the tension, to cope with the situation. And as I said, um, you know, part of my journey was learning how to feel the feelings without running from them. And I say in the book, and I say to people that I work with, because I do work one-on-one -on -one with people, I say to them, you know, if you're struggling with a feeling, sit in it for as long as you can. Sometimes it's 30 seconds, sometimes it's a minute, sometimes it's 10 minutes. Sit there as long as you can, and then next time you'll be able to do it a little bit longer. But the main thing is recognize that you're feeling something instead of immediately saying, okay, I'm feeling something, now I need to relieve the tension. And then you start running for your drug of choice. Instead, say, you know what? I'm feeling something. Let me see what it is. Let me explore this. Let me have this conversation. And I'm going to feel it for as long as I can. And then I'm going to go do something else. And I can almost guarantee that if you'll just sit in that feeling, that the pantry will quit calling to you as loudly. Oh, yes. It's like you're exercising your awareness muscle, right? Right. And it's it's very much, it's very similar to mindfulness practices, right? It's, yes. it's sit with whatever is going on inside of your head without judging it. And can you sit almost like you're separated from it and watching it? And that gives you that, you know, if you need to step out of it, because being deep in that whirlwind of an emotion can be overwhelming. And then I can understand wanting to escape from it. But if you can sit and watch it, then you have so much more chance of just breathing through it, right? 100%. And then the other thing that I came to discover, and I talk about this in the book also, is I felt unheard. And that was mm -hmm. part of my struggle is I felt very unheard. And I started this, I would, when I would feel something or get upset about something, I started grabbing a notebook and a pen and I would start having a conversation with myself. And what I came to understand was that I was having a conversation with my very best friend in the whole wide world. The person who didn't care if it was two o'clock in the morning and I was going down the road for the nine millionth time about the same thing. You know, why did my mother-in-law, why did my child, why did my whatever, you know, do whatever 30 years ago and it's come back up again. <laughs> um, and also my very best friend in the whole wide world didn't care that it was two o'clock in the morning, you know. So that's part of what I teach people is how to have that start having that conversation with your very best friend in the whole wide world, which is you, because you are always available to listen to you. And I teach people to say, of course you feel that way. Why wouldn't you? Or can you tell me what's really going on right now? You know, be inquisitive. And yes, if you were to read my notebooks, you would see there's a conversation going back and forth. Does that sound a little crazy? possibly. But you know what? It helps me to work it out so that I'm not running from the feelings to the pantry 
I'm exploring the feelings. I'm honoring the feelings. And some days, you know, it's just for a little bit of time. And some days it's for a longer bit of time. But what I found is I started feeling heard. So it wasn't as much of a struggle for me to have a conversation with another person and feel unheard because I knew I was being heard. That need was being met. Right. And it's, I don't think it's unusual. I mean, journaling, why do you think there's so many journals for sale at, in the shops? Right. So, and, and it doesn't, for some people, writing isn't their bag. Journaling's not their thing. Um, I have conversations constantly, but most of them are just inside my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, I found those not to be very productive for me because the hamsters yeah. would get on the wheels and they just keep running. <laughs> and then a squirrel would go by and you would say, hey, what's that over there? <laughs> and you go squirrel and then you go off in another direction. So I just found to get them out of my head, to send the hamsters back to the pet store, fire them and put the pet store out of business. It was better for me if I did it um, with pen and paper, because then they would stop running on those wheels. And there is a kinesthetic aspect to it. And um, yeah, there's lots of reasons why I actually tell people to write things down, even though I don't always do it mm. myself. And I want to ask you the book that you were writing that you needed to write so that you could come back and write this one. What was that one called again? That one is called The Journey from Failing to Healing. Oh. And, and that one is just your own. So that one is where you went. Well, we'll go to the zombies in a minute. Because <laughs> I'm super, super curious about the zombies. But So you had to write about your, is, it, is the journey from... The journey from failing to healing is, uh, you know, the, the different things that I did, the realizations that I had, how I started connecting with myself and being kind to myself and learning to forgive myself. Oh, my mm. gosh. Learning to forgive myself um, and all of those different pieces and parts. And it's a 12 chapter book, but each chapter stands alone. And I've been hearing from different people that they would like to know the backstory. And that's really what it is. It's the backstory to You Can't Eat Love. Right. And I've been hearing from people that they want to hear the backstory. So I'm actually working towards getting that thing uh, pulled together and ready for publication. In fact, a friend of mine challenged me just yesterday to pick a date and get it published. <laughs> The best deadline is the one where you actually plant your stick in the sand and say, this is the day. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise the deadline could be tomorrow, which never comes. Right. That is, that's so true. You know, there's only today because tomorrow is always tomorrow, right? Tomorrow is always tomorrow. And yes, now I do have to ask you, you wrote six zombie books. No, 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 no. I wrote <laughs> one zombie book. Okay. So, <laughs> You said you wrote eight books. So I wrote I eight books, and one of them is Zombie Siege. How okay. a queen, let's see, the whole title is Zombie Siege How a Queen, a Princess, and a Prince Save the World. From zombies? Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it's just, no, I'm, my mind is blowing right now because I'm like, okay, so you wrote a book on, you know, really taking care of yourself and then zombies come in. <laughs> well, the hilarious thing is the, the zombies come in because when the world shut down for the pandemic, I'm one of these people that if I'm not doing something a little off the wall, 
that I will go bonkers. And uh, my son and his then girlfriend, now wife, they both had to work because they were in the construction industry. Okay. Right. So they both had to work. So anyway, I had, I run doggy daycare. I've got three dogs. One of them is mine. So anyway, the dogs would be doing things. And so I started taking photographs of the dogs doing whatever they're doing. And then I would write an after action report, you know, like a military report. And I would post <laughs> these things on Facebook and people thought they were hysterical and they wanted more and wanted more. And people kept saying, you need to turn this into a book. So finally this year, um, I turned it into a book. It's available on Amazon and you can, you know, see the antics of the three dogs and discover how they save the world from the zombies. Thank goodness. <laughs> because I've seen those zombie movies that don't turn out so well. And <laughs> we need somebody to save the world from the zombies. But sometimes when it, so this is a total tangent and you can tell me what you think of this. So when I started seeing people when, and this was very crept in very slowly to where now our eyes are always on our phones or our devices and even walking down the street. So when one of the zombie movies came out a couple of years ago, I said, well, we've already got them. They're already <laughs> walking along the street, looking at their phones and walking into poles and don't recognize that there's anything else going around, except the thing that's eating their brains is in their hands. <laughs> 100%. 100%. Yeah. No, I I totally agree. I mean, I was in the grocery store earlier today and somebody was carrying on this very, very loud conversation. And all the people around this person were like, don't you know where you are? And we really don't want to be part of your conversation. So I, I you know, they're, they're absorbed into this device. Yes. So we are, we already have our zombie apocalypse. Can the dogs save us? Yes, they can save us. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> but they said they saved me because, you know, I, I would take them out. We live on a little over two acres. So I'm very fortunate because I would take them out three to four times a day and I would walk for 20 minutes out in the back part of our yard so they could run, run wild and free. Um, so yes, they did save us. Wow. Yes. Dogs are actually really good at saving you and you don't even know you need saving. <laughs> right. Because even though they're not your very best friend, they're probably your second best friend and they won't give you a hard time if you tell them the same story over and over. Right. No, it, they don't care. It, they don't they, care. Uh -uh, no, not at all. In fact, my so, kids during the uh, shutdown, they gave me an Alexa so I would have somebody to talk to. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Well, the dogs will listen. They just don't answer. Alexa answers. Correct. Right? Correct. And if you tell her thank you all the time, she comes on and she says, I really appreciate how much, you know, how polite you are. I really appreciate how you appreciate me. And I always tell Alexa, well, I do appreciate you. Wow. <laughs> Seriously. That's, we're getting a little crazy in the AI world. Um, so I know we went off to zombies, but when we come back to, you can't eat love. So this so the it's not the story because that the backstory is not out yet but it's the practical how to it, yes and it's the how to and the why and mm -hmm. uh helping other people um shortcut what essentially took me almost two years to figure out 
two years and five weeks. <laughs> it took me all, you know, the two years and five weeks to figure out uh, what I needed to do in order to start loving myself. And, and so the book is a shortcut so that people can start doing something, taking action immediately and start learning to love themselves. And I've had feedback from readers that they struggle to get through the first chapter because in the first chapter, I talk about the lies I told myself. Um, and, you know, they're confronted right there in black and white with the lies that I was telling myself. And they're the same lies that they're telling their, themselves. And uh, anyway, but I move people through, you know, this is what we need to do next and, and reassure them. I'm right here with you. You're not by yourself. Yeah. Because I know like so the, you know, the bookstores have shelves and shelves of self-help and without action, it's just another book on the shelf, right? It's like, I know that I've read self-help books and said, oh, that was interesting and then put it away. But it, it is that like it's confronting and if you can still be with that confrontational aspect and then do something that's so key yeah because i mean i take people through the i mean we've got the holidays coming up right mm -hmm. oh yeah we were talking about that <laughs> yes and among the things that happens during the holidays is you know that great aunt sally shows up there and she's always you know shoving food in your face um, or, you know, Uncle Bud is there and he's trying to pour a drink for you or you know who these people are. And one of the things that I talk about in the book is let's identify these sabotagers that are in your life. And yes, you can be one of them. Oh, yes. And so we identify the sabotagers that are in your life. And then let's come up with some strategies to deal with sabotagers and then let's come up with some celebrations and rewards when we are at least 50% successful in executing our plan. I'm big on rewards because I believe, you know, let's reward, celebrate that which we want to continue, ignore what we want to stop. Right. And the celebration isn't necessarily a piece of pie. I rarely, rarely recommend that the celebration be food related at all. Because that's the thing that you're trying, you're trying to. Well, but but let's look at this. How many times in your life, and it's even on commercials and TV and all that stuff. How many times uh, did you get taken out for dinner because you got good grades? How many times did you get to pick up a candy bar in the store because you behaved in the store? How many times um, did someone say, "Well, let's go eat something because you're feeling sad." So we're How about yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> right. So yesterday, did you go out to eat because you were feeling sad? No, but I, I came home from work and my husband said, you seemed sad today. So I got you, you know, this special treat. So it's like, thanks, honey. <laughs> uh, yes. See, and that that's one of those unwitting sabotagers. Right. And they don't, that's not, they wouldn't describe themselves that way at all. No. Right. But at the same time, they're not listening to what you're saying. It's the same thing with my husband. He'll bring, um, you know, four chocolate cheesecakes in the house. Yes, they aren't very big, but you know what? Chocolate in my house does not know how to behave. I don't care what I've done. I don't care how often I put it in timeout or anything else. It flat does not know how to behave. So 
I do my very best, you know, to put up a barrier so that it's zapped and destroyed, you know, turned into ash when it comes through the door. But he still finds a way to get it into the house. And then chocolate does what chocolate does. Chocolate is a superpower, has a superpower. It does. It does. And it's interesting. I was thinking about the sabotager. So I remember, and I can't remember where I heard or read or how this infiltrated my consciousness. But when you're trying to change anything in your life, and weight is one of those big ones where you want to change, make a significant change, no matter how you got to where you were, maybe it was not loving yourself, maybe it's a 100 other things. But the people in your life, there's an unwritten agreement in your life with the people in your life of how you will be and how they will be. And when you try to change something major, like even if it's like losing 10 pounds, that, that threatens their unwritten contract with you of how life will be. And I think sometimes that what it causes is it causes them to look at themselves and go, Oh, she can't do that because that makes me feel bad. So I need to, I'm, subconsciously, they say, well, she can't do that. So I've got to stop her from doing that. So I don't have to feel bad about me. So what do you think? Does that, you, is that in your book somewhere or is that just? <laughs> well, actually it is. It, it actually okay. is because uh, I didn't tell a single soul that I was working on getting healthy mentally, physically, and emotionally. And the main reason that I didn't tell them is because I didn't want the diet police to show up. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, but, but what I discovered is exactly what you were saying. When we start changing things, it forces the people around us to make a decision. Either they change or they remain the same. And the problem with them remaining the same is if we are changing and we are getting healthier mentally, physically, emotionally, or whichever one of the three, then we must change the relationship we have with them in order for us to keep moving forward. So they've got a decision to make. They can either change or stay the same and risk that relationship breaking. And this is the other thing that I talk about and I teach people over and over and over again. You can only control you. You are not in control of anyone else. So when the people around you start giving you some kind of pushback because you're changing, you're now looking at things differently. You're now putting yourself first. You're putting your own oxygen mask on first. You're taking care of you first. They're not going to like it and they're struggling to figure out, okay, what do I need to do? I want everything to go back. So this is why it's so important that you be crystal clear on why you are doing this. And that's part of what I teach at the beginning of the book is get crystal clear on why you're doing this, because that is what's going to keep you moving forward when the people around you start pushing back on the changes that you're making in your life and recognize, say to yourself, put it in a big you know, bulletin board, whatever you have to do. I am only in control of me. I am not in control of them. Whatever they are doing is what they are doing. This is why I am doing what I am doing. Right. Yeah. We have a friend of ours who's passed away now, but he always said, people do what people do because that's what people do. So you can't, so recognizing you can't control their reaction and you can't control how they're going to be. I mean, 
you can always invite them on the journey with you. But when did you when did you tell them that that's what you were trying to do? <laughs> well, actually, I never did. But, you know, it becomes a little bit obvious when you've lost about 20 pounds. Um, right. They start asking. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, they, they start noticing. Um but my husband did comment one time and I'd still laugh about it. He said, I don't know what you're doing and I'm not sure I like it. And wow. At least he was I, being honest. Yeah. I, I heard what he said and I didn't comment because there was really no point in engaging in a conversation about it. Because like I said, I can only control me. He's in control of him. Um, so if he was feeling that tension, you know, that was on him. Right. And there was nothing I could do to relieve his tension other than go back to where I was. And I did not want to return to where I was. Right. Yeah. And that's um, that takes some inner fortitude. Being right? clear on why you're going on the journey in the first place. Right. And I just I'm just remembering an earlier podcast where we were talking about it was actually about business, but related related to this is when you get into that spot where sometimes you're struggling, um, it's nice to have community to reach out to. I yeah. mean, you're talking to yourself in your journal, but even outside of that is having, uh, I guess that's the the intention of some of those weight loss places is you have somewhere to go and be with people who are doing the same thing and uh, you can talk to, and but they're not always there at two in the morning, as you said. <laughs> Right. <laughs> 100%, 100%. Well, and then the other thing that I, I came to realize um, was how many times have you said so-and-so made me sad or mad or angry or whatever? Okay. Um, I'll give you this one for free. Thanks. <laughs> what, what I came to realize is no one can make me anything except reservations for dinner. And I prefer it a five-star <laughs> restaurant and they pick up the tab right. uh, because regardless of what the other person is doing, I always have a choice. I always have a choice as to how I feel, how I react. The same thing, if I'm being honest and kind to, towards the other person, they have a choice as to how they um, react or feel. It's not my responsibility to take care of them with regard to their reaction or their feeling. My responsibility is to be honest and kind. And it's not their responsibility to do anything for me based on my reaction or my feeling, because I've got a choice. And um, people struggle with that sometimes, right? Yes, because it's part of our language to say that so-and-so made me such and such. You made me so mad. You made, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But let, let's start reframing those. I am mad because this happened. Let's right. focus on behavior and not people. Right. Is that in the book too? It is. Whoa, look at you go. Yeah. How, how big is that book? <laughs> it's 161 pages, but I was very economical with my words. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The, being someone who always reads the Coles notes of things, I appreciate that. <laughs> I say, just get to the point. Just get to the point. Uh, I'm yeah. one of those impatient readers. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting that I could actually get through a Barbara Kingsolver book. 
but I don't think I ever read her. Oh my gosh. She has a lot of prose. Let's just say mm. <laughs> she, she uses a lot of words and, but that's not what we're talking about. No. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> so the book really is just helping people through that process. Right. And then they can, hopefully have a community or find a community i mean you said you work with people as well do you work in groups or just one-on-ones um i work one-on-one -on -one with people we've got a facebook group a closed facebook group also but um i find that because different people are dealing with different things it's a little bit easier to work one-on-one -on -one with people um and what i usually do is two 30-minute sessions a week or if because you know you're digging into all kinds of things and your brain needs time to process mm -hmm. and you don't want to get that overwhelmed because then what does overwhelm do? It sets up tension. And then what does tension do? It, uh, so, so anyway, but um, I work with people like 30 minutes at a time and uh, we, we deal with this, we practice this, we identify what's coming up and we work on it. Right. And it's not, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? Oh, 100%. It's a marathon. Yeah. And, yeah. and not only is it's actually longer than a marathon. It's one of those ultra, ultra, ultra marathons because you're looking at the rest of your life. Cause let's face it. We're talking about undoing habits, beliefs, um, and practices that you've been immersed in your entire life. And depending upon how old you are, you've got to untangle those things. And what people have a hard time realizing is it took you this many years to get there. Well, you're not going to over undo it overnight. Right. And, and I was laughing. There was a commercial on for some new diet product where you can lose, let's see, was it 78 pounds in 90 days? And I'm like, what the heck do you That's learn? That's not even that? healthy. No, it's not. And I'm thinking you're going to look like Jabba the Hutt. That's, that's a, that's just from an entirely just health perspective. That's too much to lose at one time. That'll yeah. throw your body into rebound, shock, trauma, the whole shooting well, match. Forget, forget about that. If you have that much weight to lose, imagine how loose your skin is going to be because you've lost the weight so fast. Right. And, and um, I still laugh at myself because when I got on the scale for the very first time back in 2015 and saw how much weight I had to lose, I said, oh, this was a, in February. I said, oh, I'll have all that gone by December. Ha. It was September the following year when I finally got to where I said, okay, we're stopping here. This is where we're stopping. We're not going any further. So like a year and a half. So it was over a year and a half. Mm, right. But I had time to learn the lessons. I had time to practice. I had time to really change my thoughts, my beliefs. Um, I had time to change my habits. And time to let the other people around you adjust as well. 100%. Back, back to yeah. the, the people who are, will be disrupted yeah. <laughs> yeah. By, by the new and improved. <laughs> the new and improved you. Yes. And, and I had time, you know, to buy new clothes. Right. You can't buy a new wardrobe overnight. You no. Like ease into it. Yeah. Yeah. And your book 
is your book, I'm assuming your book, your book must be on Amazon. It is. It's on Amazon. It's in Barnes and Noble, Walmart, Target. I mean, it, it's on the um, websites for Walmart, <clears throat> Target, Barnes and Noble, all that. Can they get it on your website too? Yes. You can go to my website and get it as well, which awesome. is the website is youcan'teatlove.com. Wow. I'm amazed that one was still available. It was meant to be. It was so, meant to be. Totally I grabbed it. Be. I grabbed it. So the website and everything are going to be in the show notes. So everybody can just click, click, click away. And I'm always interested. Do you have any final words of wisdom for people? My final words of wisdom would be no matter where you are right now, no matter how many times you've tried, no matter what you have tried, you're not a failure. First of all, the word fail stands for first attempt in learning and you never fail until you quit. And right now, if you do not believe you are enough, I will believe it for you until you're able to believe it for yourself. That's awesome. I actually have a post-it note right over by my computer that says I am enough for when I forget. <laughs> so yes, my friends, you are absolutely enough and you are awesome and I love you all. And Leslie, thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing this and your story. And the zombies are going to stay with me. I know it. But you definitely cannot eat love, friends. I've tried. And I've learned, lived to tell the tale. Um, thank you so much. I appreciate you so much for coming and sharing all of this with us. And take care. I will see you again. Hi, my friend. Thanks so much for listening to this entire podcast. If you found it useful and you're like me and you like, like helping others, please feel free to share this. Just give it a like. Give it a comment. If you found something useful in it, there's a chance that someone else will find something useful as well. Also, if you have any questions at all, I can absolutely help and I would love to help, you can email me at heather at prosperityflowcoaching.com. If you want more of this awesome content, you can follow me on Instagram, Heather Stewart Coaching. You can follow me on Facebook, Prosperity Flow Coaching. And I have a personal request. I want to help as many people as I can with these podcasts. And if you could give me a review, hopefully a good one, <laughs> if you could share, if you could send this out into the world, I would truly appreciate it. I hope you have an amazing day. And I hope that you find your way to wellness by getting back to me. Take care, my friend.